0: Good evening, and God bless you. It's a joy to be here with you this evening. And I, too, love that song, hearing it come from the hearts of people that know what it means. But you know what? This group is a very, very small percentage of people in the world today that can say it is well with their soul. For most people in the world, it's not that way. And so that prefaces the service tonight. uh, in a, in a real, uh, special way. My assignment for this evening and in the next uh, number of uh, several days here is simply entitled, A Vision for Missions. And uh, so we want to unpack that. And my goal is to somehow, as we talk about missions, we, we have the correct Theology, don't we? Well, we know what the Bible says and you're hearing the teaching here in these classes. I hear it coming in the little bit that I sat in classes and, and the teaching is is here. The question is, what does it look like? What does it look like when it's at work? How does it play itself out? And what are some ways that we can be intentional with being involved in the great work of missions? <clears throat> and so, This evening, uh, I'm going to be beginning with what I call the big picture. First of all, a story. So my wife and I are in northern Bangladesh and we're traveling, we're walking, traveling, we're walking from the middle of Najipur uh, toward our apartment. And the setting here is that uh, this area of Bangladesh is a very conservative area. The opposition party leader, in government lives there, which means that it's radical. The Jamaat are there, and other people. Jamaat is uh, like the Taliban, or uh, they have other labels in other countries. But it's the same idea. And so uh, it's uh, a high percent Muslim, uh, 80% Muslim, maybe 20% Hindu, and hardly a trace of Christianity, let's say. So that's the setting, and we are walking, and we're coming down toward our apartment, and suddenly this little rickshaw, it's the 3 wheel bicycles, okay, comes zipping around us, and a man pulls up front, jumps off the back, and he looks up at me, and he says, I need blood. <clears throat> I'm glad it wasn't dark. I remember where we were, and for a man to step up and say, I need blood, and he was, in earnest, and he went on to explain. My wife, he said she, she had a baby, and they made this great big cut right down through here, and it's open, and they took the baby out. Problem is, my wife needs blood. She's gonna die. And I said, well, what, what kind do you need? He said, type O positive. I said, I don't know what kind I have. I said, I know it's red, I know it's good, But I don't know if it's typo positive. I doubt it. But I said, let me check. Maybe I can find some. I get on my phone and I call one of our team. I thought there was one that did. And I call our team member, uh, one of the girls, and I say, uh, do you have typo positive blood? And she said, I do. I said, would you be willing to give some of your life away? And she said, I will. I said, we're coming. And we get on the back of this little rickshaw. There's only got room for a few people, but there's more. And we go up the road. She is coming, walking from the other direction. And we pick up Lydia. And she gets on the little bicycle, the little rickshaw. And we stop at a building. And we go in. And it's kind of dark. We go in and up the stairs. And there on a bed is the wife of this man with the cutest little girl laying there. The baby is fine. You know, the black wavy hair and the chocolate brown eyes and just a picture of beauty. And there she is. But the mother needs blood for life. And so he said, "Okay, now we've got that done, but we can't give blood here. So we need to go somewhere else. Are you getting the picture here? So we get back on. We go to another place. We come in and they take Lydia in the back. And they're going to put a needle in her arm and they're going to take her blood put it in a bag, and give it to this mother. Now, in Bangladesh, if you see some of the other pictures, you may wonder where all this needle has been. Uh, and you are the one that's going to put your arm out and let them put that thing in there and take some of your blood. <clears throat> but Lydia was brave, and she did. And they got the blood to this lady. <clears throat> now... I give that story because I want you to connect some dots with what we're going to be seeing later. So we're talking the the big picture now. I'm going to say that anabaptism is the ability, and anabaptism is a big subject, okay? But for this little piece, we're going to say that it is the ability for biblical belief to find literal expression both internally and externally in any culture of the world. And the picture that I have in mind is another blood story. This one is in Revelation 7. And you can, you can look that up and read it, actually. I'm going to turn there uh, for just a few words. And the, it's, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ as John saw it. And here's what he says. He says, <clears throat> that after this he beheld, and there was a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindred, people, and tongues. And the picture is that they were there before the throne, and and the Lamb there, and they cried with a loud voice, and their message had to do with salvation. Their message had to do with blood. Okay, Uh, Salvation to our God. Uh, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And, and the angels that were around, they were observing, and they were and they heard what was being said, jumping down there to verse 14. Uh, and, and, uh, and I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. The question was, Who are all these people? And the answer was, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a blood story. They've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, what I want us to do is is get a big picture here. So let's first of all look at this scripture here uh, in, in Matthew 4. And these are the words of Jesus. Actually, it's a quote from Isaiah. And it reads this way, the people which sat in darkness have seen great light. And those that sat in the region and in the shadow of death, light has sprung up. Maybe the picture is something like this. So we have here uh, a picture and uh, let's just say, <clears throat> this is the, uh, the situation where Jesus is coming from Jericho and he's walking, and as he is coming, suddenly he hears a cry, just like the cry that I heard from that rickshaw. Please help, I need blood. And the cry from these men is, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're crying. We have a need. It looks kind of pitiful, doesn't it? They're blind. They're beside the road. And without intervention, without help, probably sooner or later they're going to die, are they not? And Jesus said, so what do you want? What can I do for you? And they said, Lord, we want to see. Please, we want to see. Restore our vision and Jesus proceeded to honor their faith. But now, what we want to connect here that the picture here is a cry for help that is met by one who is able to, to do something really important for them. In this case, restore their sight. <clears throat> My question to us this evening is, what type of blood do you have? What type of blood do you have? I'm not talking about type O positive now. I'm talking about what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ comes inside of our life and he, and he transforms us. And, and the blood that flows when we put our hand out and we touch the world is that which does what happened when Jesus touched these men. The the people that sit in darkness see great light. For these men, you know, when their eyes were opened, I don't think they saw just a flicker of light. I believe they look right into the face of Jesus. And those men saw great light. They came from darkness into light, and there wasn't any question about, uh, uh, well, are we uh, are we kind of kind of like uh, in the kingdom of Christ, or or where are we? The the light is a little shaded. There's great light when our hand goes out to the world. I hope we're making that connection, so when Jesus is within us and our arm goes out, it becomes life-giving and the world is looking for that. The people that sit in darkness, hopefully, they're going to see great light. If I wait too long between slides here, then it doesn't want to go. So, this evening, vision for mission. Let's look at a couple of terms. So missions is the dynamic of reaching people with needs. That's an assignment. It's it's an undertaking. It's a calling. Actually, it's a command. So here we have the example. Visions, a a mission is the dynamic of reaching people with needs. It's the dynamic of putting out an arm and giving blood and giving what brings life to people. So vision is the ability to think about or plan the future with perception, discretion, and wisdom. I'm a little bit of a disadvantage here because that screen back there is just about too far away to read it and I don't have my laptop here. Same dilemma that we had last evening. But this is vision, the ability to think about or plan the future with perception. And I'm going to illustrate that in just a bit. But before I do that, so vision is what Jesus saw when he looked at those men. He saw those men with vision. When Jesus looked at the paralytic, the man that came, or the man that was, yes, crippled and on his bed there, you know the story. And Jesus said, so which is easier to say? Son, your sins be forgiven, or take up your bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. And so Jesus, when he healed that man, he saw him, In his mind, I'm sure he saw him walking away with his bed. Something had dramatically happened as a result of his faith. And and the man was without sin. His sins were forgiven as he walked away. Jesus saw him that way. Jesus saw the woman at the well with her thirst quenched, did he not? He saw Zacchaeus in the tree. The man That was where salvation had come to his house. Jesus saw him that way. And and the list could go on. My challenge this evening is, do we have that kind of vision where the Zacchaeus and the blind men and the woman at the well and Legion, the one that Jesus ultimately saw clothed and in his right mind, we see them sitting on a pew in our church. They're there because somebody dared to reach out and make a difference with life-giving substance, yes. So vision is the development of a mental picture based on a need. Vision. A vision without a plan is only a dream. A vision calls for being intentional, strategic, and purposeful with the intent of accomplishment. And my thoughts go right now to this uh, illustration, the story in Matthew 13, where we have the account there, and I'm not going to read it, but this man is out in the field. And he maybe he is scratching with a hoe or something, and he hears this clink, and he stops and he uncovers that thing, whatever it is, and he discovers that it's a it's a pearl, it's a it's a treasure, it's a valuable treasure. And he looks around. Maybe nobody is watching. He carefully tucks it back under the ground, covers it up, and he goes and. He finds out whose it is. Maybe he had to find out, get a deed for the property. I don't know what he had to do. But at any rate, it says that he went and he sold everything that he had. He sold out completely and he went and he bought that field. And then he goes back and he scratches around. And sure enough, there it is. He sold everything that he had for that field. Vision calls for being intentional, strategic, and purposeful with the intent of accomplishment. So, I'm going to illustrate with this slide. I was going to go back and forth a little bit, but this this here doesn't seem to want to do that very well. Here's a picture in Bangladesh, and I'm going to use this to illustrate the idea of vision and how it works. So in 2007, Cyclone Cedar came in off the Bangal Bay and, and destroyed the south part of Bangladesh. In response to that, Christian Aid Ministries went in to rebuild homes. They had a target of maybe 500 homes to rebuild there in the south part of the country. And as they finished up that project, the, the son of an ambassador to the U.S. actually lived in the Charkhali area there, and he was watching this project, as people do, and when they were done, he called for the team leader, and they talked about what our people could do further for their country. Now, we understand how that works. Uh, I, I understand what that hand looks like, but at any rate, it was a great idea, and they started talking ideas. Maybe we could teach them construction. How do Mennonite, uh, how do American uh, contractors build straw huts? Uh, There's some problem here. Maybe that wouldn't work well. Maybe they need electricians. Well, you look around their towns and they do. Uh, Great need for electricians, but how do you wire a straw hut? Some problem here. And they landed on this idea of teaching English as a second language in their public schools. How would you like that? I hope you're listening here, because there are teachers that actually go do this. And and so they talked about this, and this man said, I'll help you get into the country, I'll help you do what we're talking about doing, teaching English in our primary and secondary schools, or our public schools on a primary and secondary level. Brother Jonathan should be talking about this. He knows this very well. But so it's a great idea, a vision. So how is it going to happen? Uh, A vision without a plan is only a dream, and it takes more than one person to do this. And so he goes back and he talks to his church, the Fourth Avenue Church there in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and they think together about this strategically. And uh, they say, well, if we wait for somebody else to do it, uh, are we hearing here? We wait for somebody else to do it. It's probably not going to happen. So the question is, what can we do about this? The clock's going to be my biggest enemy tonight. I'm going to go very fast here after a while. What can we do about this need? And so they decided on a plan. And they decided to go over and begin teaching teaching and they did, early on in that uh, uh, program, we have this young man in the corner. Laser doesn't work there. But you see him right down in the right corner. He was the first convert over there. His name is Amman. And I'd like to tell you his whole story. Maybe, maybe another time we'll talk about it more. But he was the start. And he came, joined the English class. But now he was a Jamati. He had memorized the Quran as a boy, sharp as a tack, and he comes and the, the, there's questions that come up in the language class to talk about something. Why not talk about some things in the Quran, their holy book? Now the question comes up, so, so who is Jesus? You see, the Quran says that even Muslims are to believe in Jesus. And so, not saving faith now, And so the question is, so what does that look like? And so the teacher begins to push on this. And Amman can't answer that, but he's interested in knowing. And so he goes to his authorities and he says, so what does this mean? He came back saying, not only could they not answer my question, but they got angry with me. They said, you're not supposed to ask questions like that. And they began to really search And the short story is that Amman became converted and was baptized. See see what happens with a vision that's intentional, strategic, that has a plan. Now, here's another really important point. Arnold was a young man, he goes back, he could have said, this is my vision, this is my plan, my idea, I was there, and all of that. But he went back to the church The church, and he introduced the idea. And together, the church came up with a plan, and they worked together. Great, great idea. Another interesting part of this, the man that sits at the far end of the table, kind of to the left in the gray, he was an imam, a Muslim imam, meaning he's a leading person in the uh, in in the in the Islamic uh, community. Also a very smart man. I had the opportunity to help baptize him. Uh, brother uh, Edwin, EB and I had gone over for some church work, and we, we had a class of five. Uh, I need to tell you that story sometime. Got to come back. Got to come back some other time because. Uh, Amazing thing happened the day when that baptism took place because security was very, very high. We were on the second floor of a building. Now I'm telling you a little bit of the story. On the bottom floor were three men with rifles. They were security. They were watching. I said, Arnold or Donald, how are we going to do this? Because we're planning to do a baptism right above the barrels of these guns. How's this going to work? And we said, you know what? This is a work of faith. This is a work of faith. God is going to see after this. And so we did. I'm going to leave the story right there. Talk to me some other time. We'll get back to it. But it's a picture of vision. That's actually a Bible study. That's taking place in Bangladesh. People that have come to the faith. The church is growing there. We need to move Quickly on The bringing of sons and daughters into the kingdom of Christ is a compelling theme of the Bible. <clears throat> so here we are in Liberia, and we're teaching biblical foundations. Now, once again, we're looking at the big picture here tonight. So that sounds like foundation, doesn't it? In this class, we're teaching biblical foundations. And it takes us back to the garden where the big picture begins. I like to take Muslims back to the garden. And we, they, they, they will agree with you. They'll talk with you about what happened back there. So I say to them, okay, so back in the garden, man had a perfect relationship with God. Yes, everything is good. Yes, yes, good. And I say, so did, did God give Adam any instructions? Well, yes, he did. So what did God say? Adam should do. Well, they can answer that usually and what he, they're not to do. And I say to them, so, so what, what did God tell Adam would happen if he disobeyed? Well, God said he'd die. Yeah, really? Yes, God said Adam would die. Did Adam disobey? Yes, he did. But I say, but wait, God comes to the garden, and he's calling, Adam, where are you? But Adam's dead. No, Adam's not dead. Adam is hiding, but he disobeyed, and God said he's dead. And I say, ah, what died? What died? What happened? And so, ah, problem. So, relationship, something happened relationship got broke, yes? Ah, problem, okay, so I say, well, so did God just say, well, Adam, too bad, this is it? It's all over, Uh, no hope? No, no, this is not, this is not it. And so I say, all right, so, so what did God say? What's the plan? What is God's plan in the big picture? It's a blood story. It's a blood story. The story of Jesus shedding his blood, yes. It's bl- but there's where we part ways, okay? There, there's where we kind of run into some problems. <clears throat> so we have this picture here to illustrate it. I want to get back because there's a man in here that we need to uh, spend a little more time with. Now, there's, there's three parts to tonight. Supposed to be. Uh, but let's, let's start with looking at a mosaic of missions. And this is now like, again, looking at the great big picture. So I'm going to ask, so what does missions look like? And who is the example we're going to use? What does missions look like in the big picture of scripture? Well, our example is going to be Noah. I was in a class this morning and uh, there was a bit of discussion about this man, Noah. Now, it says there in Genesis 6 that Noah was a just man. He was perfect in his generation. And I use this example because he's probably one of the first missionaries in Scripture. He was perfect in his generation. Really? What was his generation like? <clears throat> Was, was Noah's generation maybe similar to ours today? Similarities? I think we would agree. In the midst of a generation where the world had chosen to go against God, there's a man that's perfect in his generation. He's righteous. What made him that way? <clears throat> Noah did all that God commanded him. That's what the Bible says. He did all that God commanded him. He persevered for 120 years. He brought the message of God to a wicked world. He called the world to personal choice. He exemplified the message of salvation by his life. We're talking about what missions looks like. He exemplified salvation by his life. There's much more that could be said, but I'm going to suggest that this is what missions looks like. Let's look at, look at the next one. So what does a missionary look like? What does a missionary look like? We're going to use Joseph for our example here. Joseph is in Egypt. He's bombarded with the influence of idolatry. Ring some bells here. Idolatry, materialism, vanity, success, the test of his own morality. <clears throat> he wrestled with injustice, struggles, but in all of that, Joseph declared the holiness of the God that he served. His character, Joseph's character, stood in judgment to the evil around him. His life was a means of salvation for many people. This is what a missionary looks like. Let's look at the life of a missionary. We're going to use Moses here. Remember, we're looking at the big picture. Tomorrow evening, there's going to be a lot more pictures, but we're talking words this evening. So we're looking at now the, the life of a missionary, what that looks like. So Moses, he uh, becomes educated. And uh, one day he's out walking around and, and he sees injustice going on. And uh, Moses takes things in his own hands, does he not? Looks this way and that kills that Egyptian, quickly digs a hole in the sand, buries him and runs away. Next day he comes out and he tries to settle something else. And he finds out there's a big problem and Moses is gone. And he's out and he goes and he flees. He goes into the wilderness. He goes to take care of sheep. He learns how to take care of sheep. So he's out there and one day he sees the bush. You know the story. The bush is burning, and Moses says, "Wonder what's going on here?" And he wanders over, and a voice comes out of the bush. It's God speaking. And God says, "Moses, take your shoes off." And we're talking about the life of a missionary. He said, "The place you're standing is holy ground." That's really significant. That's really significant. Moses kicks his shoes off. Why? Because Moses' bare feet needed to touch the holiness of God. He wasn't ready for the task that was coming. Joshua needed to do the same thing. Uh, In one of the other sessions, we're going to be talking about our conversation. Only let your conversation, your walk of life, your feet, Be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. If it's going to be clear, if the blood flowing out of the arm is going to be good, clean, royal blood, our feet need to be in contact with the holiness of God. You need to understand that. So Moses, he resists. God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pakistan. I want you to go to Iraq. Right during the ISIS war, I want you to go there. There's people there that need blood. I want you to put your arm out and give them some, okay, right? And Moses says, now wait, I'm too old. I can't talk. And even if I could, they won't listen to me. They're Muslim. They're Hindu. Whatever. They won't listen to me. <clears throat> I can't do it. Now, God wasn't finished with Moses. Moses needed to spend some time out there in the wilderness. But even after he agreed to go, some of the things that Moses encountered as he was prepped for the real assignment, the thing of leaving Egypt and taking a group of people that threatened to stone him. And they didn't, they they accused him of many things. You, you know how it went there: struggles, weariness, rocks, thirst, accusations, Stiff necks. And then of all things, Moses, he attempts to do his best and he fails. And he ends up coming short of his great expectation. This is the life of a missionary. Let's look at another. Our next example here. So what does mission work look like? Our example is Elijah. So he steps into an era of idolatry. He's old, he's outdated, he's bald. He's just an old man, Is a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Why should we listen to him anyway? But he is girded with powerful faith. Elijah is, he's there on the mountain, but before he goes there, God says to Elijah, I've got some work for you. and I, I want you to go down there to that vineyard that belonged to Naboth. King Ahab has killed and he's taken. And I want you to go down there and talk to him. He has the assignment to go down and tell him what would happen. You have killed, you have taken. Didn't have a pleasant message, did he? where the dogs lick the blood of the innocent man, they're going to lick yours. That sounds like mission work to me. Well, then they go up there on the mountain, the great contest there, and he calls the nation of Israel back to God. He calls them to decision and the worship of the true God. When he's ready, Elijah, after the prophets had tried their calling on their God unsuccessfully, he comes near, he calls the people around him, and he, and he lays up the stones of the altar. I don't know if they were big or heavy, but he picks them up and he puts them where they are to go. He, he puts the stones in place. Now remember, it hadn't rained for three years plus The ground must have been very, very hard there. I don't know, but Elijah digs a trench. Maybe he had help, but it says that he dug a trench around that altar, pretty good-sized trench, and uh, then he butchered that bull, and he did have help with people bringing the water around for the trench. Mission work. We're going to leave it with that, but this is what mission work can look look like. And so we have the impact of faithful youth. What does that look like in missions? Here's an idea. We have in 2 Kings this little Jewish maid. She's a captive and she has a master that has leprosy. And she's thinking, you know what? If this man would know the prophet in Israel, he could be healed. He could be cleansed of his leprosy, and I can hear her with her, with her innocent little soprano voice one day saying, you know what? If, if, he, if he could only know my, if he could know my God, if he could know the prophet in Israel, he could be healed, and then maybe she went and hid. Maybe she was scared, I don't know. What a simple solution in profound faith that, he, that she had. This is what the impact of faithful youth in missions can look like. I need to tell you a little story. We're quitting at 8.30, right? <clears throat> so we're in Iraq, and we're, we're out there in the IDP camps, where the internally displaced people are, and, and we have a translator. We're going from tent to tent doing mission work. were we were attempting to, my wife and I, and a translator. And uh, the rest of our team had another project going. There was a little extra money there, and they decided they're going to bless 5,000 households, tents, in, our, in this one camp. There were 5,000 tents. I don't know how many people, maybe 40,000 people in that one camp. And they decided that they're going to give 2 kg of oranges and a flat of eggs to every tent, and you do the math, that's a lot of oranges and a lot of eggs. I don't know where they came from, turkey maybe, I don't know where all, but they went ahead and they did that project. So we were going around ministry in the tents to people, and and and, and around us they were distributing oranges and eggs. Now it was like Christmas, because if you're in an IDP camp, you get rice, lentils, oil, maybe, a few basic things, but oranges and eggs, they come at Christmas time, okay? This was a real treat, and we knew that. And so the children came running around, and they had oranges clutched in their hands. Some of them were peeling them as they went, and we walked between the tents, the little paths, you know, and we'd see the orange peels, and the children come running up. And I say to them, where did they come from? And, and they said, well, uh, the, the, the people in the white truck. I said, uh, who are they? Well, the followers of Jesus, that's what they call themselves, followers of Jesus in the white truck, and they're giving oranges away. Muslim people don't do that. Muslim people don't do it that way. The little maids, (laughs) the little boys were running all over the camp and they were saying, followers of Jesus gave us the oranges. I didn't have to preach that day either, and I've gotta stop because it's time. Maybe we'll pick up on some of these. I had three parts for tonight, and I'm going to just tell them what they are. The first part is a mosaic of missions, which we didn't get very far in. The other, second part is God's plan for, uh, God's plan in Christ, and we understand that theology fairly well. And the final point was going to be our mandate, God's call for the church. Maybe we're fairly versed in that as well. But maybe in another session, we'll pick up on a few more of these ideas. But I've been to Bible school before, and I know that when the bell rings, it's the end. God bless you for being attentive. I'll be delighted to talk with you at any other time if you have time um, and tell you a few more detail on some of these stories. God bless you.